prayers of the Bible. I think this is week 23. I just want to give you guys a little heads up on what we got coming up. A lot of people gone, obviously, uh, to this weekend. Give you a heads up on some things coming up this summer. We're going to do a few different things. We haven't sorted it all out, but I tell you, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Dr. or not Dr. We're going to have Steve Holiday here, Ultimate Escape Ministry, who came, the guy that came with his dog, remember that? Did the, the deal with his dog. It was really cool. Um, he'll be here for two weeks talking about a theology of sex. Uh, it's great, the stuff he does, and especially good for younger people, um, your teenage grandkids or kids, I think you want to have them here for that, and I think we'll all learn quite a bit for two weeks. James Prather is going to be here a couple of Sundays, kind of one more toward the beginning of the summer, one in August, I think. So we got several different things coming up this summer that I think you won't want to miss. Tonight we'll be in Luke chapter 23. And I'm not sure there's anything Jesus asks his disciples to do that's harder than this. After all he's done for us, however, Jesus has the right to ask it of us. And that is, he asks us to forgive. To forgive. From this famous prayer that he prayed, which we know was the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prayed to the Father... Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. His disciples, no doubt, felt the difficulty of this uh, petition for forgiveness. I mean, because the petition for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer has a condition attached, right? It has a writer attached to it. Forgive us as we forgive. There's this conditionality there. To ask for God's forgiveness, there is an assumption that I am extending that same forgiveness to people who have wronged me. And I think perhaps sensing their apprehension, Jesus immediately after, right after the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus immediately teaches the following in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I don't think he did anything there to kind of ease the apprehension of his disciples about that difficult calling to forgive. Um, And the importance of forgiveness is a theme addressed in a lot of literature, a lot of films, Certainly, it's a theme addressed prominently by Jesus himself. There was a a, a play a while back called The Black Angel, a play by a man named Michael Christopher that talks about this theme of forgiveness. His play is about a former Nazi general named Engel, who after decades in prison... After World War II, serving time for war crimes, he is finally released, and General Engel is trying to start his life over again with his wife in a small village in France. The general believed that his past, that the weight of his guilt uh, was now behind him. He had paid for it with three decades in prison. Now he was building a cabin for himself and for his wife 
in the mountains of France just outside of a village. Now perhaps he could finally find some peace. Maybe he could begin to forget all that had happened and all that he had done. What he did not realize was that there was a certain French journalist named Moreau who could not forget. Moreau's family had been killed at the start of the war when Engels' soldiers wiped out an entire town. And Moreau could not forget that. For 30 years, while General Engel was in prison, Moreau planned his revenge. If the Nuremberg Nuremberg Court would not sentence the general to death, then Moreau would carry out his own death sentence on the general. So finally, after 30 years, the moment came. The general was released from prison, had gone to that little village. Moreau had gone to that village before him and had stoked up the hatred of the villagers and the fear of the villagers, and he did his work well. On this particular night, the villagers had been convinced by Moreau to leave town in a mob, go up to the cabin, and murder Engel and his wife. However, Engel's story contained some loose ends, and the, journal felt, the journalist felt like he needed to tie those up. And so in the afternoon before the planned executions, Moreau went up to the cabin, knocked on the door, identified himself to the shocked war criminal. Then he began to ask his questions. Moreau probed Engel's story all afternoon. And as he explored Engel's story, and even more than that, explored his soul, Moreau felt his own soul begin to change. Revenge began to taste sour in his mouth. Moreau changed his mind. He confessed to the former Nazi general. He said, tonight, they're going to come up here. They're going to murder you and your wife. Hurry, come with me. I will save your life. I will help you get out of here alive. After a long silence, the general answered, and here's what he said. He said, I will go with you, but there is one condition. Moreau replied, what's the condition? The general said, the condition is that you forgive me. No. No, I'll save you, but I cannot forgive you. I can never forgive you. That night, the villagers came as a mob in the courage of anonymity. They shot Engel, they shot his wife dead, and they burned the cabin to the ground. That's the play. Christopher's play is unsettling. It makes you think. It makes you wrestle about our need to find and experience forgiveness for what we've done. But our difficulty in offering forgiveness to others who have genuinely hurt us. There's the general who would rather die than live without finding forgiveness. There's Moreau who is justified, more than justified, in his anger over what the general did. And this Moreau who finds himself now without the power to forgive. So what does it look like to forgive someone, to pray for someone perhaps who is your enemy, 
to ask God to forgive someone who has sinned against you. And tonight we encounter the most powerful example of that anywhere in Matthew or rather Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 34, you'll recognize this, Jesus hanging on the cross. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing They divided up his clothes by casting lots. Hard to think of many situations that could measure up to that one in terms of pure human ugliness, pure violence and evil. And wrapped up in all of that violence and injustice, we have this powerful example of what it looks like to forgive. And I know every one of us has heard the story of Jesus' execution. You've probably heard it dozens, maybe hundreds of times. But this moment in Luke chapter 23 comes after 24 hours of pure emotional hell for Jesus. His life sold for 30 pieces of silver by a member of his inner circle. Um, Arrested, put through a sham trial or series of trials even, in the middle of the night. One of his closest friends, Peter, Peter, James, and John, Peter, one of his closest friends says, I don't even know this man, denies knowing him. Jesus alone stands before groups of the most powerful men in Israel who had been plotting his death for quite a while now and finally got their chance. Under guard by Roman soldiers, he is sadistically beaten and flogged, ridiculed, mocked, the crown of thorns thorns in the robe, spat upon. And then after, after personally acknowledging his innocence, Pilate, the Roman magistrate, abdicates his responsibility, turns matters over to this bloodthirsty mob, allowing them to determine the fate of Jesus. And then the Via Dolorosa, agonizing trip from the Antonia Fortress there beside the Temple Mount up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Jesus carries his cross until he can carry it no longer. A man is chosen from the crowd to carry the cross. At Golgotha, his hands and feet, of course, are spiked to the wooden cross, the execution instrument. He's hung up between two notorious criminals. Now, many have studied and written about the, tor- the torture that was a Roman crucifixion. Suffice it to say, it was the most imaginatively horrific way the Romans could devise to kill a human being. That's what it was. So Jesus would have, prior to his clinical death, he would have spent the last ounces of his energy pulling his weight up and then dropping back down just to grab gasps of air. The pain, of course, from the spikes would have been excruciating. Down below, lest we forget, there is this circus-like atmosphere. That's why I included that verse about the, you know, they're they're throwing dice and deciding who gets his clothes and stuff down. I mean, it's just crazy there. Um, 
The whole traumatic moment was so terrible that the sky went dark rather like this afternoon. The father turns his back. Darkness covers the hilltop. And there, in that place, that macabre scene of horror and injustice, Jesus prayed those words. In the middle of that, he pierces that darkness with those words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in a very real sense, those words summarized his whole reason for leaving heaven and coming to earth. Forgive them. They know not what they do. The whole purpose of his mission, forgive them. They know not what they do. When he left the glories of heaven to be born into this sin-wrecked world. Everything in his life, in his ministry, had been leading up to that moment. And there... On that hill, if you look closely, there are glimpses of the broader forgiveness that was being poured out on us, on everybody. Um, There's the criminal, right, who received the Lord's pardon today. You will be with me in paradise. There's the Roman centurion so moved by what he sees that he is finally brought to the point of declaring truly this is the Son of God. What happened there at Calvary? So many centuries ago still reverberates outward through the universe. People, all kinds of people from all different cultures, all different tribes, diverse people united by by one commonality. Every single person in every place on planet earth, a sinner. Every one of us guilty. Forgiveness, though, was poured out there on us all, available to all, because of what Jesus did. Amen? Now, if Jesus, after all he had been through, if Jesus forgave those soldiers, those accusers, those authorities who had been plotting his death, if he forgave them, then surely a way has been opened for me for you, for us to be able to forgive as well. And by this prayer of forgiveness, he wasn't simply releasing those present there, encircling the cross like a pack of dogs, wasn't simply releasing them from the guilt of their crime. He was releasing us all from our guilt before God. That prayer, Father, forgive them, can't just have been for Jesus to pray at that moment It has to be a prayer that all disciples pray for those who have wronged them. It is a prayer that really is at the center of our cross-shaped faith. But the act of Jesus, the willing sacrifice for our forgiveness, and the prayer, Father, forgive them, they remind us, don't they, that the source of our forgiveness, the resource that we draw from, when it is incredibly difficult, seemingly impossible to forgive, that that resource is outside of ourselves. It comes from God. The power to forgive comes from God. Father, forgive them. Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what he he wrote. Verses 5 to 7. If anyone, (laughs) if anyone has caused grief... You ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. You talk about unselfish. 
This guy has caused me grief. This person has wronged me. And, and Paul has us thinking about what it's like to be that person and to care for them and to minister for them, recognizing in the middle of their guilt, there's a brokenness there. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, this one is one of those that just marks who we are as a people. Paul says this, Forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. He points back to the cross. The Lord forgave you. So you are to forgive others. Now, we're not going to get into all of the many side roads that forgiveness entails, all of, the, all of the difficulties entangle all of that tonight. It is enough for us to recognize that Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of those who had done horrible things to him. And were they repentant? No, they weren't repentant. Did they believe they had done something wrong? No, they did not believe they had done something wrong. And he forgave us as well. And clearly, he calls and expects us to embrace that and to extend that forgiveness and grace to others. Um, one note here. I like that phrase, forgive and forget. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that. Forgive and forget. Nice phrase. Not, not a biblical phrase. Not a phrase that's ever asked of us. A fellow named Lewis Meads has done a lot of writing about forgiveness. Um, and he's talked a lot about this. I'll borrow a couple of his ideas there. Forgiveness is an intentional act. You decide to do it. Forgetting is not something you can... You, you don't have a hard drive up here that you can just... Okay, I've erased that. I mean, I have no memory of that anymore. It doesn't work that way. Forgiving, I can decide to do. Forgetting is a different matter. Um, we can't erase our memories like we would a thumb drive or something, right? Forgiving is hard. <laughs> Forgive, forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, we don't necessarily need an intervention of God in order to forget something, do we? We don't necessarily need a miracle to forget something. If you have a particularly bad memory, it'll just kind of happen. That should do the trick. God forgave us. If he could have just forgotten our sin... He wouldn't have needed to send Jesus to the cross. He could have just said, your sin, already forgot about it. Don't know anything about that. Um, so forgiving someone does not necessitate forgetting what has happened. Nor in many cases is it even like physically, chemically, neuroscience perspective, is it even possible to forget what happened. And so forgiving is not forgetting. Neither is forgiving excusing excusing what is happening saying that was really no big deal what happened for, forgiving is not that it's not looking for ways to justify or excuse what someone else has done hey i i know that you flew off the handle a little bit but you you've had a rough month or two no big deal it's not that um now it may be true but excusing it may be true that they've had a rough month. It may be true that there were reasons that that happened. But the point is, excusing and forgiving are separate things. Um, and sometimes excusing can actually not be such a good thing. Excusing can sometimes sidestep the hurts or sidestep the issue and, and can actually be something, excusing can be something that we use to avoid the hard work of forgiving someone. 
So forgiving is a decision of the will. It is fueled by these lavish resources that God has poured out on us and that we have received because of Jesus' sacrifice. The decision not to forgive. Let's talk about that. Um, Jesus, obviously, has told us there are consequences. There are ripples out from that decision not to forgive. There are effects when we decide to refuse to forgive someone. There are, of course, real-time consequences in the here and now. Relationships are torpedoed in cycles of insults and revenge. Marriages are split apart. Friendships are ruined. Churches can split. Um, there are even, you know, we, we could spend a lot of time here, which we won't, I promise. But there are even medical studies out there that talk about the, the physical effects of unforgiveness, the toll that it takes on us physically. But ultimately, whatever the benefits of forgiving, whatever the costs of not forgiving, there is something more that we are called to think about, and that is our mission. As disciples of Christ, we have a mission that we need to think about. Um, It's we who were forgiven. It's we who were saved, and we were saved for this purpose, for this mission. We are a people of reconciliation. We are a people who live out the love of God in a world filled with hate, ugliness, and unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's going to talk about this mission. Important passage for us because it's who we are. It's who we are as a people. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, All this is from God who through Christ, he reminds us of the cross here, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's ours. He gave that to us. Um, That is, in Christ, God was recognizing the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him, Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ gave us this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation. He entrusts that to us. It's his gift to his church um, because we benefited from his gift, and we know that. As as followers of Jesus, we, we know what the cross means for us. We know that we enjoy grace. We enjoy mercy. Uh, and now our ministry is to let that spill out of our lives into the world around us, into our homes, into workplaces, into our school environment, our community, our church, um, and out into the broader world. And as Paul says here, um, it is, and this is the most heady statement in this entire passage, right? It is as though God is making his appeal through us. Think about that. God is making his appeal through me. 
He's making his appeal through you. He is declaring you to be his ambassador, my representative here in your neighborhood. You are my representative at the Tom Thumb when you're shopping. You are my representative there in your office cubicle, there by the water cooler. You're my, you're my ambassador in the hallways of, of your high school, your college. So there are a lot of things, obviously, that we're called to do as disciples of Christ. Uh, but I think nothing which we are called to do requires prayer, <laughs> requires divine help and intervention more than that. Really, I really don't. I think that is oh, it's so hard, but so central to who we are. And so we, pray, we prayerfully accept the mission of reconciliation because forgiveness is hard. It just is. So back to Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them. Um, even when my, I think this is important, I'm, I'm thinking about myself and how things work inside me. Even when my emotions haven't caught up with my calling in Christ, even when I don't particularly feel like forgiving, even then I can pray that prayer. Father, forgive them. Forgive the person who sinned against me. And at that moment when I pray that, I am inviting God himself to do something that perhaps I am not able to do alone. And I think there's a tension in that prayer. Father, forgive them. When maybe my heart and my emotions haven't quite lined up with that, I think there's a holy tension there. And there's a transformation that happens in that tension. Transformation in my heart. Let's pray. Let's, let's close with a prayer this evening. Lord Jesus, we simply want to express to you our deep gratefulness over what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for offering your forgiveness to us. And may your spirit remind us that you didn't just die for us. You didn't just die for our friends or for the people that we like you didn't just die for our loved ones. You also died for those who've hurt us. You died for our friends and you died for our enemies. And so, Lord, help us to be more like you. And also empower us to be your ambassadors in our homes, in our city, in our world, so that we may make your appeal. And you may build ministries of reconciliation in our lives. And Lord, you know us. You know all of the good. You know all of the bad within us. If there's someone or some people or some group tonight who have wronged us. And we're harboring resentment. May we release this into your hands tonight, turning loose of the weight of the burden of unforgiveness. And so we pray 
Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, help us to grow into that prayer. Help us to grow up into that prayer, to mature and to transform into a people who model this love, this mercy, this reconciliation to this broken world around us. This is the prayer we offer to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's celebrate his love in song.